This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Rayshap. It's another bottle down. Thank you to everybody who supported Co-op Radio during Membership Drive. We had such a good time. I made some other co-op DJs uh, taste some disgusting wine. That was pretty fun. The tastiest, not-so-tasty tasting ever. So thank you for everybody's support. Today we've got an amazing show. We're going to be talking uh, a little politics here in the wine industry. We're live in the studio with Chris Brundrett, uh, one of the owners of William Chris Winery, and Ray Wilson, who is a sommelier in Austin, good friend of the show. And we're going to be discussing the uh, proposed House Bill 1514, which uh, changes uh, some some of the, the legislation as far as labeling wine as Texas wine. So we're going to get into it and talk about all the facts of the discussion. I do have to remind folks that the opinions expressed on this show uh, do not reflect that of Co-op, the board of directors, the underwriters, or the staff, or anybody else related to Co-op other than me. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Chris uh, Brundrett, uh, one of the owners of William Chris Winery. Uh, you've been on the show a few times uh, via phone, so welcome yeah. here into the studio, the Co-op Studios. Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate, uh, appreciate the invite today. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to developing this conversation of what Texas wine is from your standpoint, which is that of a, of a producer um, and somebody who has their finger on the heartbeat of uh, growing grapes in Texas. Sure, sure. And uh, Ray Wilson, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for for being here and presenting this uh, the the perspective of the sommelier. Uh, and you are making wine yourself too, so you'll bring bring that perspective. And um, welcome again to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. It's good to be here. Yeah. So uh, I guess so. At the heart of this debate and discussion, this this House bill that's been proposed in this. Uh, just maybe maybe a month or so ago. Sure. And we'll talk about how this kind of came about, but it's now uh, proposed in the House, mm-hmm. and it seeks to, uh, and, and I, I want you to kind of first uh, tell us what it seeks to do um, as far as making Texas wine 100% from Texas. So give us the broad brushstrokes, and then we'll, then we'll pick into the fine-tune. Sure, sure. Well, I think it's important to start like uh, at the very beginning when you look at uh, the... This uh, how this bill came about. Um, you know, we we looked at a, a couple of different uh, wine regions. Um, roughly ninety five percent of wine grown in America uh, has origin of authenticity behind it. California, Washington, Oregon, New York, um, all have uh, superseding label laws that aren't aren't uh, fed- federally mandated, or excuse me, that are that are uh, state put forth by the states to to provide a little bit more clarity. Um, and also uh, uh, back more authenticity behind their region. Um, so California and, and Oregon and New York have the 100% requirement um, to be 
to be labeled uh, Oregon or be labeled California. So 100% of the grapes uh, that go into making that wine in that bottle right. have come from that state. Absolutely. Same thing in France and, and Italy. And, and uh, uh, so when you look at uh, competing in a uh, worldwide market, it's important to have authenticity behind your product. Um, so the we went to the Department of Agriculture a couple of years ago and said, hey, you know, what, we're wanting to change this and really market our wines a little differently. How do we do that? And Texas Department of Agriculture said, hey, actually, we don't actually have a lot of, we don't have a, anything to do with that. Um, we right. can't lobby one way or the other. Um, you know, I think you should you should uh, start looking at uh, different ways to change the law and then uh, also get the consumer behind you. Um, and, and so that's what we did. We, we went out and uh, started marketing our wines a little differently and um, right. got the consumer behind us and um, so so um, and we're going to talk about the challenges over you know over the course of this hour of the from the marketing standpoint and uh, and that this and that but let's kind of start at the very beginning as sure. far as leading folks through say I, I have a brand new winery mm-hmm. um, you know, what are the things that uh, I'm, I'm designing a label, right? I'm thinking about where I'm getting my grapes. I, sure. I'm thinking about how I'm making the wine. Uh, can you first uh, walk us through what are the the steps in kind of uh, getting label approval? What are the various bodies? Sure. And, and, you know, we'll ultimately get into what we're trying to convey to the consumer about what's on that label. Sure, sure. So um, in the United States, we have to go through what's called the Alcohol Tax and Trade Bureau. Um, we have to send in... And we'll what, be calling that through the course of this show, the TTB. Correct, correct. And yeah. uh, so we send in a label and they look at, um, gosh, probably 10 or 12 things um, about like government warning, um, where the wine comes from, um, the alcohol percentage. Make, they make sure that um, the, the label is clear and concise and... Um, you know, it's just kind of government red tape to go through. And then once that's approved, um, it goes back to the TABC, which uh, the TABC doesn't, they take our money. So but the they Texas don't. Alcohol um, Beverage, Beverage Commission. Commission. Correct, correct. And, they, and they've been very upfront that they don't really, they take the take our money and, and, and approve it, basically. If it's if the, the TTB approves it, then they'll they'll approve it. Right, so they're defaulting. Um, they're saying we basically trust the, the federal, uh, the TTB. Yes, yeah, so I've never and, heard of a, 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 an occasion where that wasn't the case. I mean, there might be something out there that I'm not unaware of. but Right. Can we can we talk about the the requirements as far as what you must see? I mean, you mentioned a few, um, sure. Because that that factors into the debate here that um, you have to see as an example. I think everybody is used to seeing the alcohol percentage, so sure. that's that's mandated by law, right? Right, right. Um, I think that the government warning that that governmental warning mm-hmm. that says you shouldn't be driving or you know during pregnancy, so that's mandatory. What else is is mandatory? There's the bottling location so to uh, generally have the address um, of where where the wine is, is bottled um, right. and then uh, the company that bottle, bottles it um, it also has the brand name um, the uh, the varietal name the grape variety if, if there is one or the fanciful name um, and then there's uh, descriptors like uh, American or uh, white, uh, uh, red wine, white wine, which um, designates a place of origin, right? Right, right. right. And so, so the government, the federal government, gives some leeway for all of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for for everything you see on the label, uh, actually, and, and we're talking about a place of origin in this show, but um, there's leeway for everything. There's leeway for alcohol. 
So right, I think so it's ten percent or something. So like that. Um, under fourteen percent, it can vary by one point five percent alcohol up or right. down. Right. You know that's something that a lot of folks in the industry don't talk about. Sure. Um, and and w- so what's the leeway for a varietal? So if you see Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, it, can it, it, it doesn't have to be 100% Cabernet Sauvignon? No, it means it's at least 75% Cabernet Sauvignon and 25% can be blended in to, to lift up in, in at least um, in, in some most, most areas. Now, there's some states that have different variety laws that they've superseded, like Oregon, that uh, I believe 95% is a, in most cases. Um, I right. have to look that up. But, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's 90%. 90, um, okay, yeah. So they go from, so they've, so they've taken it on their, their own behalf to mm-hmm. say, okay, the, the 75% that the federal government dictates is not good enough for us, right? Right, right. And for and various marketing reasons and or or you know the clarity issues, right? And we'll 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 talk about that in a second. But the the heart of this is that when we talk about Texas wine and people see the uh, the word Texas on the front label. Mm-hmm. Currently, according to the federal government, it has to be what percent? A minimum of 75% Texas-grown wine. And the remainder can come from? Uh, California, Washington, Mars, wherever. It could be, <laughs> it could be wherever. Um, and, and, that's, and, and it should be noted that you know, a bunch of other states, 40, 45 other states, but they make about 2% of the wine in America. Right, um, right. So mostly folks are getting them from the, 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 that remainder from California and Washington, Oh, Maybe sure. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, they get it from all over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so, okay. So, so this proposed bill says that we're going to then we're, the state of Texas is going to impose stricter regulation. Um, you did a little bit of research. That's one way to look at it. I, I think in, uh, in, in one sense, you can look at it like a stricter regulation, but I, I also look at it like um, the state would uh, actually be allowing. Texas to have a hundred percent Texas grown product, it kind of like get the federal government out of, out of us, kind of relax regulation. I mean, uh, you look at it both ways. I think it's ridiculous that they even allow um, right. 25% to be blended into Texas wine and call it Texas. So, uh, you know, some How, people do you look think at that it folks are wine. also abusing. I mean, do you think that people are, cause it, has anybody come into your winery and said, the books showing that you know, or I know that you're 100 percent Texas, but the you know are, are are is anybody going in and saying, well, you said that that, that this is you know 25 percent from California. You're legally allowed to say that it's Texas, but you sure that it wasn't 60 percent? Or you, um, know? you know, I'm not TTB. I can't really answer that, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not the wine Gestapo. You know, I don't, right? But uh, I mean, do you think that that occurs? Um, no, in my in my experience. And, and this is just uh, my opinion looking at how we report. Um, the TTB looks at gallons in and gallons out. And um, there's really little checking that goes on in, in my experience. So, okay. um, you know, maybe that could be going on. I, I'm, I wouldn't know. Um, okay. You know, I guess you'd have to look at reports from wineries that do bring in um, wine from other other areas and other states. And right, um, okay. Well, so um, can you talk about the the genesis of of the bill? So it was proposed by who's uh, the representative, yeah, Representative Jason Isaac, um, and uh, he's been a, a great supporter of the Texas wine industry uh, for quite some time. And uh, you know, he uh, he he came out a couple of years ago and. 
um, had had some interns um, visit with a lot of a lot of different fans from not only our wineries but other areas and um, you know he came back uh, and this is after we had discussed you know what, what are some issues that, that are facing your industry and we had a we have a multitude of issues like uh, um, a farm winery or, or a, a, a farm winery grower permit um, our farmers can't can't uh, at present own their grapes after it's turned into wine um, unless they have a winery, a full winery permit. And there's about five other issues out there that, that we're all constantly working towards. And um, so anyways, he had, he had sent a couple of interns out and uh, gathered a lot of information. He came back and he said, wow, this is really, really interesting that, um, that people really are confused. And, and he's got a lot of great Texas wine drinkers um, in his district. Um, and then I think one of the things that really bothered Representative Isaac the most was that the Texas Department of Agriculture cannot support Texas-grown wine. And they can. I could bring a truckload, uh, a whole semi-truck of California juice and bottle it in Texas and they could throw me a party, but they can't support Texas-grown wine legally. Um, and that's something that I think really dug into him and uh, said, man, we got to get this thing fixed. And, uh, and is that because, so I don't, can you, uh, I don't quite understand that. Is, sure. It's, is it because? <laughs> it's is it really beca- confusing, I know, too. Well, so. but is it because it's just being pro-business just as far on the winery side? Um, so it's, it's actually some, uh, it's, it's been cited to them that it is illegal for them to support Texas-grown wine because it's showing favoritism towards somebody who grows 100% uh, Texas product, and when when they uh, by law have to support Texas appellated products. So, and again, it's it's so. And is that is that is that a little bit di- different in different industries, or we don't have this kind of? It's this, definitely this not like that in the beef industry, uh, <laughs> right. and and uh, you know this is something that uh, that was kind of like the number one thing that kicked it up for for us is going. Wow, when our Department of Agriculture can't legally and, and you know they've been actually really great through this whole process. They're like, we're sorry, we can't we can't support an event that only has Texas grown wine because right. it's showing favoritism, and that's illegal for our our organization to do, which drives me nuts. You know, like <laughs> right. so we we give a lot of money, a lot of great taxpayers give a lot of money to the to uh, tax dollars that end up going to the Texas Department of Agriculture, and they literally cannot support Texas grown wine and. Right. Uh, I think in the end, that was kind of the, uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for us say, Hey, we need to do something about this. Right. Right. So, and then, um, so can, can we talk about kind of from the branding point of view? I mean, you were trying to do events and trying to do, sure, uh, sure. so, so, and, and I've mentioned, uh, on this show, the Texas wine revolution, which That's kind right. of features that, which we'll talk about that in, later in the show. Sure. Um, if so, but it's, but it's also a larger branding issue just as far as what the consumer knows they're getting and, and then out of state sales as well. Absolutely. And, and, and we've, we've run into a couple of different roadblocks going into, um, you know, we, we've, city of Austin has supported us a, a lot of Austin, great Austin restaurants have been, been big supporters of ours before Texas wine was cool, you know, right, and, and, right. uh, I, I still find that I go into these restaurants and work the market and, and, uh, you know, they've, they've got kind of a bad taste in their mouth because they say, Hey, how I've been fooled by a Texas wine before. What do you, 
how do you, how do you know this is really t- from Texas? And I'm, you know, flipping through my iPhone, showing them pictures of me in the vineyard going, Hey, look, we farm half of our production. We buy grapes from 15 different Texas families. We're hundred percent Texas grown. And, and, you know, after a while they, they trust and understand me, but there's no way of knowing that unless difference. you were standing in front of them telling the story. Right, right. And there's no way by looking at a label that, um, that uh, a government, uh, approved label that right. you could sit, you could tell if it's a hundred percent Texas grown or not. And, um, you know, some of the, the opposition to this bill definitely has said, well, why don't you just put a hundred percent Texas grown, um, on, on the label and, and you are allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, you look at it and we've already got a go Texan symbol, which the go Texan symbol until two years ago didn't have mean that it, it didn't have any, it didn't have to have any Texas grapes in it. Um, and then a couple years ago, they, they made it to where it would ha- have to be a minimum of 75%. Okay. So um, same as the feds. Yeah. So or same as a state law. Cause we have a state law right now that says 75% as well. So, um, which, which there's no way for a consumer to know that it's a hundred percent Texas grown, um, in, in, in a, in a crowded marketplace when California means California, when Washington means Washington, when Oregon means Washington or right. Oregon, France, Italy, Spain, Chile, Argentina. I mean, you could go, why would anybody think that there wouldn't be a hundred percent where, uh, wine where, where it wouldn't be from that location. So, so currently, I mean, if you're, and, and I think that we're seeing a trend for consumers and Ray, you might want to speak to this as, and, and some conversations I've had with people, just the food scene and wine scene, everything in general, uh, we're moving to a public who wants to delve deeper, um, into each step and to know a little bit, uh, I mean, there's a lot of parodies out there, but we want to know also where, you know, where things are actually coming. We want a little bit more transparency there. But so, so right now you could be looking at a shelf, Texas wine and, 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 and it not being that, having that identity. And I think that that's, that's kind of, you know, the, when you're trying to, to tell the story and, and to, sure. and to, to, to craft that identity that comes into play. And it should, it should be noted. There are so many fantastic Texas wineries uh, out there that are growing 100% Texas grown wine. There's fantastic Texas wineries that are making 50-50, the 75-25. They're not breaking the law right. in any uh, shape or, or form. Um, and I have not met very many Texas winery owners uh, and Texas winemakers that aren't amazing people. And, right. it's, and, and Texas growers, same thing. It's some of the most resilient and amazing people um, on, on the, on the planet that I've ever come in contact with. So, right. Um, Ray, what's, what's your perspective? I mean, do you, do you see that confusion in the public as far as, um, you know, people thinking they're getting a, a Texas wine and it's, and it's not, or it, it might be, you know, either 25% or it might be the more elusive for sale in Texas only. But since the address is in Texas, we didn't really kind of talk much about this. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a tough um, spot too. You know, the for sale and only, uh, Texas, but you you know, do you see a, a real confusion on the public's end? I do. I, I think that there's confusion on the consumer end, but I also think that even within the industry, um, you know, sommeliers and wine educators uh, such as yourself, we spend a lot of time studying the specifics of labeling and AVAs and, and all the kind of classifications that come along with, you know, 
an industry that spans the entire world. So what that means in different places. I think it's very hard if even kind of the gatekeepers of these markets and these industries then are unclear on how to even communicate that to the consumers. So that presentation, whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's in a retail shop, um, anything, once there's kind of an interaction going on, which is most of the, uh, much of the time the way that um, a consumer then uh, purchases their wine. Um, I think if there's confusion on the industry side that that just completely, you know, it, it's even that much more on the consumer side because it's very different when, you know, people spend the amount of time educating themselves, themselves on those classification systems and then it's still unclear on the label what that is really going to mean for their own purchase, much less than their consumer that they're working with. Right. So, so with you're talking about these regions from around the world, and the French and the um, and you know the, the new European law system states that that appellations have to be 100 uh, percent from yes. from that appellation, right? Yes. And from a marketing standpoint, Mark, I'd I'd, I'd point out that um, I've seen it firsthand in in uh, with friends that come in every weekend and different folks that that will come in and buy a ton of Texas bottled wine. And they'll they'll come back to my house, or you know, we'll we'll meet up, and they'll say, "Man, look at all this great stuff I bought." And uh, you look at it and go, "Man, you, you know, just so you know that this is uh, th- there's a couple of bottles in here that aren't aren't Texas grown at all." And uh, you know, they're like, "What? What do you mean?" And it's super yes. confusing. And uh, and that being said, we just we're trying to provide a little clarity for the consumer because there's so many great folks, and there's nothing wrong with buying a, a bottle of California juice in a Texas bottle if you know about it and you know you like the you like the wine, go for it. I mean, there's no sure. nobody's saying that that's a bad thing by any means, and there's a lot of really great uh, uh, wines out there um, that represent where they're from. Uh, right. Right. And then, and then we start to get into, you know, that really defining of a style, which is, you mm-hmm. know, wh- what are we, you know, what is Texas doing as far as, um, you know, where they're going as far as what does Texas Tempranillo mean as far as uh, in, in, uh, in contrast to like a Spanish Tempranillo. Um, Ray, do you think that this is kind of a, a key piece to, to that conversation when we, when we start really addressing, you know, from a consumer standpoint, okay, this, the identity of Texas Tempranillo, is this kind of a, a good first piece? Absolutely. I think that without this, I think that um, that approach to that buyer, to that sommelier, to that wine educator, um, you know, that wholesale purchaser, I think that that is the first step in saying that, you know, Texas is playing on a larger stage. They're not just, uh, you know, kind of in that uh, smaller place. I think it's really about looking at what's going to grow this industry to a place where there's not just, you know, this transparency is really about, it's it's about trust. It's about, you know, from the consumer level and, and all of those people in between um, industry or not. And I think that without that transparency, I think that it's really challenging to build trust. And then from that, it's really then the identity. I mean, for a place that's so strongly identified like Texas, I mean, not being from here, I think it's just that even, you know, that much clearer. (laughs) Texas is so strongly identified. And this to me just does not fit in that. I, I think it's, you know, to, to find pushback in this, just to me, when it says Texas, it should mean what, you know, it should have a very clear definition. And I think that that's the only way that this industry is going to grow because then we'll learn what Texas tastes like. And then we can actually get to the real work of finding out what it tastes like in this vast, vast place that Texas is. So within that, talking about regions and subregions, that's a whole other conversation. We have to clear this first to then really have 
uh, continue the progress in yeah, those other Chris, conversations. Chris, do you think that this, so, and then this, this was kind of getting back or maybe uh, elaborating on your point about supporting the Texas uh, agricultural uh, side of things and sure. the Texas growers. I mean, will this, what will this bill do for, you know, in a, in a positive or negative sense, but uh, for the growers, um, will it give more credence to, to, to what they're doing? Absolutely. I think that um, just seeing it firsthand of my buddy that has bought, you know, a case of wine thinking that he supported the Texas grower and then find out that three or four of those bottles might, might not be Texas grown. It's disappointing. And then his, he's less favorable or she's less favorable about coming back to that brand of Texas, right? Right. And so what we need to be ca- cautious of is, you know, a couple of years ago, we had about 4,000 acres. Uh, we're now somewhere around seven or 8,000. Uh, and there's a couple hundred acres of uncontracted fruit, to say the least, um, in our state. And there's plenty of grapes out there. There's bulk wine out on the market. Um, and we for in order for this industry to grow and and continue to grow um we need to have innovation and 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 there if we're shooting ourselves in the foot by not being authentic then uh that's a real issue and we've got to be real with ourselves um and our industry uh to to better serve the the consumer because in the end I'm not going to buy all the wine right right (laughs) the the consumer has to buy it and for us to go out of the state nobody Nobody wants to buy a 25% bottle of California wine in, in uh, New York. Right, you know? um, right. They, they want to buy Texas wine. So, so the um, we have to take a short break, but uh, we're going to keep on talking about this. Um, after the break, I want to you know delve into some of the more particularities and, and look at what some of the other states did and take us back to that time. Sure. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm here with Chris Brundrett from William Chris Winery and Ray Wilson from Wine for the People and Dandy Rosé. So uh, stay with us. We're going to take a short break here from uh, some underwriters and some announcements, and we'll be right back. Support comes from Lincoln Pins exhibit Dimensions of Color, the art of Maria Lyle and Lisa Garner, February 17th through March 19th. Artist Reception Saturday, February 25th, 6 to 9pm. Link and pin is located at 2235 East 6th Street, Suite 102. Gallery hours, Friday to Sunday, 11 to 4. More information is available at linkpinart.com. Looking for fun and entertainment during South by Southwest but don't have a badge or wristband? Austin's two community radio stations, Co-op and KAZI, are joining together to present Community Fest at Kenny Durham's Backyard on Friday, March 17th and Saturday, March 18th. This event is open to the public and features two days of music, performances, food, and fun for the whole family. Community Fest starts at noon each day and ends at midnight. Community Fest is presented by Co-op and KAZI, bringing unity to the community. More information can be found at coop.org. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Co-op Fest, Co-op and KAZI. 
That sounds like a like a blast. Uh, Co-op puts on great parties all the time, birthday parties, all kinds of music music shows, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And I hope we our news, our wonderful news and public affairs programming will will be doing stuff in the in the future as well. Um, if you thank you so much for being here uh, in this conversation, we're talking about House Bill fifteen fourteen, which is uh, going to be making um, Texas labeled wines uh, a, a, a mandatory one hundred percent from Texas. Um, and that is changing from the current uh, federal uh, regulation of 75%. Um, and I'm here with Chris Brundrett from R- William Chris Vineyards, uh, which I, I, I mistakenly said William Chris Winery, uh, but William Chris Vineyards, and uh, Ray Wilson from Wine for the People. Um, so, so, guys, thank you so much for having this conversation. Sure. Um, you know, Chris, you did a little bit of uh, background uh, research as far as, you know, talking to some folks mm-hmm. about uh, from Oregon, from California. Sure. You know, what was what was and then we have a little quick clip from uh, Dave Adelsheim uh, talking about how he felt things were uh, in Oregon. What, what was the, the background research that you did? Oh, should we we talked to the uh, Washington Wine Growers Association extensively, the Napa Valley Vintners Association. Uh, we've talked to numerous uh, growers in, in Oregon and uh, the, the Oregon Wine Growers Association. Um, and it should be noted, too, just to touch on that last last uh, little subject, that this bill doesn't stop anybody from making whatever wine they want. Uh, they can make wine from California, from France, inside to Texas. They can make it however they want. They can blend it because they feel like it. They, there's nothing that, that has changed about the way people do business. Um, it just means if they're going to put Texas on the label, on the front label, um, as an appellation, that it would mean it'd be a hundred percent Texas grown. So. Right. So, and so, uh, though I, I will have to, you know, and I'm I'm going to maybe read some statements from sure. some other folks who are opposed to the bill. Um, but if you had, like you were saying, a fancifully named wine that um, you know you have your consumer base that say your 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 you you name it, uh, you know, the 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 wonderful uh, the wonderful Texan and 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 you know half of it is from and it's following all the rules right um and you have that customer base um you know they're they're you won't be able to officially you know keep on making that wine as is so there there is going to be a little bit of a change in you know business structure for some folks um and you know so how would it how would it change well i mean they would have to be it, it would be you know as far as making that wine and 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 I guess labeling it as Texas, so that sure. that would you well, know. it would mean if you look at it in perspective, uh, Mark, that if you had a thousand cases in production, right, um, of that wine called the wonderful Texan, let's say, right, and and currently you need to have seventy five percent Texas to call it the wonderful Texan, whatever you're going to call it. And and then you uh, then you blend in your twenty twenty five percent from somewhere right. else. So it wouldn't mean you'd have to stop making that wine. Right. It'd mean you'd have to do one of uh, one of a couple of things. You could just make seven hundred and fifty cases right. of that wine, and then take that two hundred and fifty cases of of whatever California wine, and and tell your consumer, hey, this is the this is this other wine, right? Or you could make it the exact same way and just not label it Texas, which I understand what you're saying. You couldn't, you couldn't call it the Texan. And 
I, I see that and, and that is that is a, a, an effect or so what would you have to call then, then mm-hmm. so then what would be your options as far as calling it something else you yeah. could also get innovative and make sure that you make your wine with varieties that really work in this state that are sustainable and I think that at the root of what we're talking about here is necessity breeds innovation um, 10 years ago, Texas was in somewhat of a wine renaissance, right? The rest of the world kind of kept on cruising and Texas was doing the same thing and getting the same results. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of young people, a lot of great folks that came in, a lot of really great farmers decided to stop farming cotton and peanuts or, or slow down on that because those crops were maybe a little less sustainable and they started getting into grapes. Then they started figuring out how do we beat freezes? How do we beat bad, bad vintages? We're looking at hail netting now. And now this industry has grown uh, because of necessity. And I think it's really important to look at um, necessity breeds innovation. I mean, we look at those aspects of, of farming that we can really make better wine if we push ourselves to, to make better wine and, and to go with varieties that, that, that work really well in the state and to market those varieties. I think it does a disservice to the state if we continue to blend in 25% of something from out of this state and then because of a bad vintage or because it doesn't work, and then continually do that year after year and then start selling more when we could be spending more of our time talking about Morvedra and branding that as a Texas variety or, or, or Tempranillo or, or Trebbiano Toscano. Right. So so what does then Texas do during times, during vintages where you get, you know, severe crop damage? Sure. And, um, you know, what, what, what do those producers do as far as, you know, um, making the wine to support their business? They do what every other wine region on the planet has done. I mean, France has hail and, and, and devastatingly uh, bad freezes. California had a super light crop um, last year, I believe, with the, the drought. I mean, in some instances, it was half. Um, they do what everybody else does. They, they, they adapt. They hold back vintages. Um, you know, and it's still farming, right? I think, I think sometimes we kid ourselves that, uh, uh, especially, and I always find interesting that people don't, that people that don't farm don't understand that you can't buy grapes, like going to the grocery store, you know, like placing your order at the meat counter and going, all right, I need 10 tons of Cabernet and 20 tons of this and 20 tons of that. It's going to be ready. Right. It's, it's farming, right? I mean, we have to adapt. And, and so I think that's something, a really important aspect of, of, of this whole issue is that, that we're losing that connection of a sense of place. And what we could do is, is, is anybody that had a bad year can still make wine from out of state. You could, you could start a different brand. You could continue to blend in 50-50 because you feel like it, because you had a bad vintage. Nobody's saying you couldn't do that, and and it just uh, and put it on the back label: fifty percent from Texas, fifty percent from California. Right. So that transparency is allowed. You can mm-hmm. say it's American wine. Can explain the vintage sure. uh, and and put that. Sure. We 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 have this specific relationship with this California grower. Sure. And et cetera, et cetera. We're doing things the right way. Sure. Um, Ray, did you have a comment on that? Yeah, and I think you just got to that right at the very uh, end moment of that comment. I think that you know to very clearly like answer your original question is just that it's just about then clearly stating those sources wherever they are. Um, yeah, it's just very clearly stating them because I do think that if there is a business model that is 
that continues to benefit off the misinformation that the consumer can get to very easily, um, I think that that's a problem. It's, there's nothing wrong with making that wine exactly as it is, exactly how somebody wants to continue to make it, no problem. But it should clearly state where it is. And that's all that this would change, is giving a clear statement of your source. Right, right. And I, I've seen, um, you know, for folks listening out there, um, uh, I've invited some 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 wineries on the show who have declined, who are opposing the bill. Um, and but but I did get a few statements, and I think I just I feel like that I sh- I do need to mention this uh, because this is an important debate right now. And um, there's a lot of like you said, a lot of really important debates going on. Um, and uh, and so, but this is certainly one. It's happening. I mean, the bill is happening. So sure. we we want folks to have the right information and um and 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 know how they can support so and this kind of speaks to to what you were saying that you know it's not the, the as far as the bill it's uh, and this is mark hyman from uh from yano estacado oh, okay. uh, who gave me permission to read this um texas is simply not ready for this to happen why because the state has not demonstrated that we have long-term sustainable quantity yields consistently year after year and an abundant enough supply to put this into effect just yet we have, an industry, we have industry reports that back this up on yields per acre, and some vineyards around the state are only producing a little over a ton per acre, as little, uh, as little ago as the 2015 harvest. Um, and then he goes on to compare this you know, with some California uh, uh, producers, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but again, I guess to, to your point is, as far as you know, the yield conversation, uh, I mean, do you see that Texas is producing a lot lower yields than say California, et cetera. And, and does that factor into the debate? Um, so Texas is a very interesting place to farm. We have, uh, we have in some instances, very, very high yields and in some instances, very, very low yields. And, you know, and, and first of all, Yano is a great business. Um, you know, the, their winemakers are personal friend. I, th- I think the world of their business, um, you know, but when you look at it, um, how much of that wine is actually from Texas? And, and I think that they do a good job of clearly labeling. I think they put American, if I'm not mistaken, right. um, on, on the label. But we look at it like um, we're farmers and we farm all over the state of, uh, state of Texas. And uh, uh, when you look at that, that statement, nobody held a gun to anybody's head and said, you must make 100,000 cases and grow your business over time. And, and Yano started out 30 years ago, and um, they buy very little high, Texas High Plains fruit, um, where majority of the fruit is grown. I think they have another vineyard um, in Dell City, which is, is, puts out some rocking, rocking uh, 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 fruit. But most of their program is different. And, right. and it's, I think it should, it should be noted, like, People buy wine for different reasons, right? And when you're in, let's say, that sub ten dollar range, which quite, quite, I think Mark would agree with me that, that most of their wine falls into that category. Very little of their wine is actually grown in Texas, and very little of their wine is actually um, um, uh, on the, on the over twenty dollar shelf, right? Um, but when people buy wine under that ten dollar mark. Um, in some cases, they're not really looking for a, a wine with a sense of place. They're looking for Coors Light, or uh, right, they're right. looking for a, a, a wine a wine that has alcohol in it, and and 
that maybe a little sugar or maybe I think Texas or I think sweet red is is one of their biggest. Um, well, but one one of the I think the, the point is is that you know um, the bill as it stands right now is sure. is in effect for September first, mm-hmm. and, and we should say for folks listening out there who want more information, and there is a petition uh, uh, kicking around, right? Sure. Do we have a website. Yeah, for if that? you're interested and want more information to uh, to make your own decision. Um, uh, realtexaswine.org realtexaswine.org um, uh, has a, a change.org petition with uh, a lot of the facts and it's it's five whole lines of legislation that uh, have been written so you can read all about it and uh, if you're interested you can choose to support it and share it with your friends and all that good stuff uh, cool um, let's shall we hear from uh, from David Adelsheim just talking about a little bit what it was sure. like for him in 1977 when he was uh, kind of going through this whole and I should say it was a little bit well, well let's 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 play the clip and sure. and, and hear from David David, David Adelsheim and we got to visit with him a couple couple of days ago it was very interesting when we put um, rules in front of the Oregon Liquor Control Commission it was not legislation it was it was uh, regulations we okay. we did it at a time when the american wine industry was in a very different place that we started working yeah. on these rules in 77 and we got them finally approved with every single winery in oregon having to sign off on it before the liquor control commission would agree to it in uh, 1977 uh, and there were probably 20, 25 wineries. I can't remember the exact number. It was, it, it was pretty small compared to the over right. 700 wineries today. Um, yeah. And it was, it was in the framework of federal laws in those days that allowed you to use a varietal name as the name of the wine if it contained 51% of that variety. So it was a very different situation. We were concerned about that. We were also concerned about something similar to what's going on with you, which is a number of people had bought vineyards and planted grapes and were just starting to make wine, and there was the potential of buying grapes from outside of Oregon, either in Washington or more likely in California, and right. using that to make wine and maybe not being all that clear about where the grapes came from. Um, right. But everybody agreed at at that time that it was important for us to have tighter rules than what the federal government had, that the 51% was nonsense. We raised it to 90% for most varieties. We felt that right. putting uh, putting grapes from outside of Oregon in an Oregon wine was ridiculous, and so that was 100%, and while we were at it, we decided every other appellation should be 100%. Um, now, now was, were, were there, were there at the time, were there wineries actually bring, you know, you say that it was allowed, but no, were there wineries no. actually bring in grapes? No. No, there no. weren't. Okay. No, we were concerned that it might happen. And okay. I, I've got to say that in looking back at it, our two concerns were, I think practical ones for allowing wineries to put what they did on the label, but I think as much as that, it was sort of to set up a an expectation that anybody who came into Oregon was going to have to make quality wine because right. we had these rules that were stricter than the federal government's. 
And in fact, right. when when the federal government changed their rules in, I think it was 79 or 80, they used the Oregon rules as a reference, saying that the rules needed to be stricter because states were passing stricter rules. Um, right. So, and we we never provided a mechanism for enforcement um, because the, the federal rules imply that the federal government will enforce labor rules of the state. Um, and so we didn't need to provide a separate uh, label application process that would parallel the federal governments because they would do it. They never have done it, but as it turned out, the the role of our strict regulations was more important in that it set an expectation with other wineries that if you were going to make wine in Oregon, you were expected to do this and you were expected to do that. You couldn't right. You couldn't bring in grapes from California and pass them off. I mean, the biggest problem in most states other than California and Oregon and, and Washington, the biggest problem is people bringing in grapes from those three states, making those grapes, or actually they could bring in wine for that matter, bottling it in their state, selling the wine only in their state, and avoiding right. the whole process of federal label approval and any oversight as to whether this wine is what it, what it claims to be or leaves off the label. So that's right. actually the biggest problem. It isn't. It isn't that somebody is bringing wine into the state of Texas in this case, bottling it, labeling it in a certain way, and then selling it in New York with an approved federal right. label. It's the people that sell it in Texas without an approved federal label because as long as you sell it in state, you don't need federal label approval. Okay, that was David Adelsheim bringing up some really interesting points. I mean, he went he went around like he said it wasn't it didn't go through the legislature. It was just an agreed upon by the producers, and they all signed something saying that they were going to abide by this. And uh, but any but 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 regardless of that, he thought that it was necessary to look f- towards the future. In that new producers coming in shouldn't be doing you know should should be clear as to what they're doing, right? And so I, th- I think that that was a good point. But David also brings up the point as far as folks who are almost filing that exemption with the with the TTB and putting the for sale in Texas only, or yeah, for for sale in Texas only, right? That's, and, and that's so that, correct. So, but when you see for sale in Texas only, and then you see an address that's Texas, the consumer might think, oh, th- that's a Texas wine. But no, you have to see it very clearly on the front label. Right, 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 and that's, in my opinion, incredibly misleading, and um, it's it's one of the many things that that I think that hurts the state. And uh, you know, in the end, we're trying to leave, or at least uh, I know myself and a lot of other great producers and a lot of other great great grape growers and winemakers are trying to leave this industry better for our kids and 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 better for our future. And we'll talk to the growth, the growth aspect, because I mean, it's just remarkable what's going on right now. And, you know, in fact, uh, I was, I, I got sent a few, um, 
oh, a few stats here. Uh, but, sure. but I mean, as far as we, we have around 400 wineries and 8,000 acres and, mm-hmm. and, you know, as far as the growth and, and making a statement like David wanted to do in the seventies with sure. Oregon, as far as folks coming into the industry, you got to play by these rules. Sure. Right. And, and, and so then, you know, uh, and also talk to the, about, is there a plan as far as if this, if, if this bill goes through, is there a transition period or is that something that we're like working on as far as, you know, speak to that? Sure, sure. So there's definitely um, there's uh, definitely a willingness or an open open uh, uh, open open ended uh, question of um, I wish some of the the wineries that maybe oppose this bill would come out and talk about, hey, um, maybe maybe we could do it in four years if we passed it now we could we could amend the bill right now well because the bill is just an idea right it gets right. put out there goes to committee then anybody can amend it and and talk about uh, where we go from here right, so, we should say this is the first step right sure 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 and and um, you know unfortunately some of the larger wineries have just said hey we're just not there yet or um, and and the question is we've doubled our production. Uh, it should be noted that Oregon did this in 1977 when there was about 1,100 acres. So, <laughs> uh, and we have about 8,000. And uh, you know, to protect our future and make this industry better for our kids, not just better for today. I mean, I think that's where we get lost sometimes is when we look at it. Hey, we need to sell all the wine we have today. Um, otherwise, we won't be able to buy grapes next year. Well, we need to make sure that this thing is set up for for 100 years from now. Um, to leave this place better than what we found it. Right, and viticulture industry. is viticulture and winemaking is one of the most sustained. It, it can be some of the most you know absolutely. environmentally friendly uh, practices. Absolutely, absolutely. So I definitely want some of these guys to come at um, come at this thing and, and and like let's instead of saying nope, we're against it. We uh, we absolutely don't want um, truth and labeling or we don't want to change this. Um, you know, so tell us again the website for, for folks uh, who wanted to, to, to take a, a look sure, at the petition. You, you could look at the petition and get more information at realtexaswine.org. Um, there's a link link to the change.org site there. Um, it's just kind of a baby site uh, that we're, we're working on. Um, and it's also, you, there's a link to the Texas Wine Revolution that if you're interested in... Which we're going to talk about in a few sure, minutes. Yeah. We're going we're gonna, to uh, take a short break. We're going to hear from our calendar of events and uh, wine events that are happening in Austin and surrounding areas. And then we'll be right back to talk about the Texas Wine Revolution and some other cool, groovy stuff we have going on. Tuesday, March 7th, and as South By rolls into town, a lot of the local events get superseded by festival proceedings. So let's take a look at South By. Most notable wine and food event of South By Southwest is on Monday the 13th. Kevin Fink of Emmer and Rye will be hosting the South Bites dinner. So for more information, go to sxsw.com. Wednesday, March 8th, at Mandola's Italian Market in the Triangle will be the Aperitivo Austin, sponsored by the Italy America Chamber of Commerce and featuring the wines of Cadi Frara from 5.30 to 7 p.m. March 8th, at the Whole Foods in the Domain will be the Texas Talk and Tasting. More information at eventbrite.com. March 22nd, there will be a wine and cheese pairing class, four cheeses paired to eight wines, and full disclosure, I will be involved in this class, and that is with the Wine and Food Foundation of Texas. More information, winefoodfoundation.org. 
Sunday, April 2nd, will be the Texas Wine Revolution at the Featherstone Ranch. This event will be featuring 100% Texas Rosé and uh, more information at texasrevolution.com. Tuesday, April 6th, will be the Wine and Food Alliance's live fire event held at Camp Mabry. And if you have a wine-related event that you would like to be mentioned on the calendar, send me an email at markrayshap at koop.org. Support comes from South by Southwest Interactive Film and Music. The South by Southwest Guest Pass is your digital credential to events that are open to the public, shows, and more throughout South by Southwest 2017. More information at guestpass.sxsw.com. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Mark Rayshep. This is another Bottle Down. It's Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, HD1, HD3, Hornsby. Um, we're kind of wrapping up this talk about uh, House Bill 1514 uh, that is talking about making Texas wine uh, labeled as Texas, 100% from Texas. Um, if you have any questions or uh, want to follow along, I'm going to post some links as well uh, on the co-op blog, koop.org. Uh, I'd be happy to hear any emails that you have, markrayshap at koop.org. Um, with Ray Wilson, Wine for the People, and Chris Brundrett from William Chris. Um, Ray, do you have any final thoughts on this before we get into the Texas Wine Revolution? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's an important distinction to make that along the way with these, um, you know, with the growth of any given industry, and in this case, the wine industry, um, just like David Adelstein was talking about the industry in Oregon, all of these things are happening organically whether this bill being opposed or supported in this industry right now, it's happening organically from within the industry as it grows with growing pains. And I think that trying to find and continue to leave more lax rules to support business and, and to so support that growth, I think though that in this booming that's happening right now in the industry, that these conversations are very necessary. And and to understand that there's no one from the outside coming in and saying that this is now what's going to happen. This is all organically happening from the producers and the growers and from what's currently happening in this industry. And I think it's um, you know, very indicative of the state of things right now. And, it's, and it is sometimes a, a painful process, but I do think that it's ultimately going to only add to the clear identity and transparency of what's happening here in this industry in Texas. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good point. You know, a lot of the European laws are done uh, with these really complicated, messy, you know, consortium and, and you know, appellation uh, folks. And uh, and I know that that gets messy as well. But, but you're right as far as, you know, we need to be looking at what is best for the industry moving forward, right? Because we got there's so much good stuff that's coming out of Texas right now. So Absolutely. many positive things. There's, um, I tell you what, Mark, there's, I've never been more proud of our state. Uh, there's, I've been in this industry over a decade and um, watching and tasting the wines from 10 years ago and watching them now. 
Um, there are so many incredible Texas grown wines coming out from so many different producers in the hill country and all over Texas that are really incredible. And I, and I guarantee you they're competing with anybody in the world. Um, what and, I've, and I've really tried to highlight that too, uh, really digging into, you know, winemakers that have, you know, amazing experience putting wines blind up, uh, blind tasting wines with, sure. with iconic wines from around the world and Texas doing better and better. And, and the last, uh, the last one beating out some like really iconic wines around the world. So it, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and, uh, I think it should be noted that in, in uh, here soon and, and our fans are citing that they can close their eyes and, and, and smell uh, a glass of Texas grown wine and, and, and know where it came from. And that's, that's exciting. And that's, that, that wasn't the, the case 10 years ago. Right, it's, it's right. changed and our consumers are getting smarter. Um, they're not after those $10 jug wines anymore. They're going after, uh, some, some more interesting wines with place. Um, and that's what we need to cater to if we want to continue to grow this industry, uh, it's kind of got to, got to continue getting better and better on, on all fronts. Um, and I think clarity is a big, big path to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's dig into the Texas wine revolution because, uh, I mentioned it on the calendar, um, you know, you are one of the kind of organizing sure. forces behind it, sure. maybe. Yeah, but, yeah. Tell us about it, and and I think folks can can uh, follow along at TexasWineRevolution.com. Mm -hmm. There's a big clock counting down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. uh, so the Texas Wine Revolution was all about uh, supporting Texas-grown wine. I believe the count is up to about 3,500 percent Texas-grown uh, rosés. Um, if Rosé is such an amazing drink for, for Texas and such an amazing wine for Texas. Um, right. As a Texan, we'll take breakfast, lunch, or dinner, wrap it up in a tortilla and eat it, and nothing <laughs> goes better than that with that than rosé. And we've got some incredible producers from all over the state. Um, I mean, even the guys from Kippersall out in Tyler are coming. The guys from um, from Lubbock, McPherson's coming. Uh, we've got guys, uh, I think Yana's going to be there. There's a lot of great producers um, coming in for, to the Hill Country for this wonderful event. We, should, we also have a couple of really fantastic restaurants that are going to be uh, designing dishes that are totally driven towards rosé. Um, Uncle Lucius is playing. Uh, it's about a thousand people that are going to come out for an incredible afternoon of food and wine. And so so, it's, so Sunday, April second, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and where is it? Where is it's it being at held? Featherstone Ranch, which is right next to uh, LBJ State and National Park, um, right right there in Stonewall, Texas. Uh, it's it's uh, we've really this is the second year we've done it, and uh, this year is going to be bigger and better. Um, than ever before. Yeah, can you, Ray, you, you were there last year, right? Can you paint yes. us a picture? How did it go? Oh, it was amazing. It was one of the best um, organized and attended events that I've seen uh, that's focused on Texas wine. And then on top of that, it being a style that I just think is amazing for this area um, and really great uh, producers working with all Texas fruit. Yeah, uh, and, and so how many producers again, you said? I think it's 35 different wines, and in most cases, the winemakers are actually going to be there themselves, so you can actually visit directly um, with with the winemakers that can tell you about their rosé, and uh, I think it's going to be a really uh, great, great event to educate people. Um, not all the producers... Um, are all the wines there are hundred percent Texas grown. Right. So excellent. And, uh, I think when I had you, I, I think we did a phone call, uh, maybe upcoming to last year's event. And you said that there was maybe a possibility of doing this for not just Rosé, but other grape varieties as well. Where do we stand on that? We're working on it. We're working <laughs> on it. Uh, stay tuned. I think that, uh, we're definitely looking at some different, uh, red wine options, uh, for the fall. And, and, uh, there's so much, 
so so many possibilities that and we've had so many great fans over the years come through uh, last year and uh that i think the tickets are, are are really starting to move right now which is pretty incredible yeah or or like a uh, blanc de bois thing like yeah like what yeah. we've talked about before well guys we, we've we've we're out of time here we've got to turn the 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 reins over to tracy schultz and remix um thank you so much for coming to the hey, studio thank you for the opportunity man and yeah. supporting texas growing wine over thank you very much and keep up the good work uh making amazing wine and ray i'm looking forward to the re- release of your dandy rosé we, we we can uh, mention real quick when will that be released tomorrow at lenoir it goes from 5 to seven thirty. it's open to any and all and lenoir is on south first street okay and um excellent the it's wonderful wonderful <laughs> dandyrose.com i believe dandypink.com dandypink.com okay thank you so much for tuning in it's another bottle down my name is mark rayshop we'll see you next week <laughs>